0: In 2014, a friend contacted me after ordering barramundi and chips at a venue local to my town. He said the fish in the meal had an odd texture, size, taste and was sold for too cheap. He concluded that it was identical to shark meat. He then suggested a large catch of sharks in Australian fisheries are unaccounted for in the consumer market and that this could be why. That was the day a huge operation started. I began to buy shark meat. I went to fish and chip shops and seafood stores all over Australia. I bought fish as well. I then sent the samples to my friend at James Cook University to identify them with DNA barcoding. This is an established method in the scientific community for identifying species based on small fragments of tissue. I also sent samples to the NATA, Accredited National Measurement Institute in Melbourne, to be tested for mercury and arsenic. Two dangerous things for humans to ingest, known to be present in shark meat. As shark finning is illegal in Australia, keeping the body and selling the meat for our consumption is a way to sell and export the shark fins legally, meaning our Australian sharks contribute to the shark fin trade in Asia, and Australian people, left to consume the by-product. So it's more common than you think. When you see the word flake in a fish and chip shop, that's shark. Flake is the term used when they don't want to call it shark. And when you buy fish and chips and that fish isn't specified, chances are the fish is shark. The most common fish used for fish and chips in Australia is shark. When I started the testing, I had no idea what I would find. We know our butcher can't sell us chicken and call it beef, but it turns out that's exactly what's happening in the seafood industry. I thought maybe I'd find one or two things labelled incorrectly. I didn't know that I could walk down to a local store and buy a tiger shark steak. I never imagined to get the results of mercury levels back that I did. The results of my testing were so shocking, I immediately took them to the media here in Australia, and was turned down by every single person or show I approached. It turns out, when supermarkets advertise on your channel, you don't want to be publishing their seafood infractions. So it never really got published. This podcast might be the first time you're hearing of these findings, and to help me explain just how insane the seafood industry is here, I brought in a friend and a whistleblower from the industry itself.
1: Hello, Shark Girl. How are you?
0: Are <laughs> you ever going to stop calling me that? Probably not.
1: <laughs> no. Nah, shark Girl is always, yeah, it's the Yanonda plume. I love it. Okay.
0: <laughs> I'm stuck with it. I know that. Um, yeah. William, we met a really long time ago when you randomly reached out to me and told me that you knew some stuff because at the time I was targeting a really big seafood not seafood chain, but like a supermarket, a general supermarket here in Australia. And you knew the people supplying them, and you reached out and told me some crazy stuff. So how long did you work in the seafood industry here in Australia, and kind of what was your role?
1: Um, So I worked in the seafood industry for about 15 years, and um, I do realize when I say that I I make myself sound old, but um, I'm still quite good looking. (laughs) Um, oh sorry we meant to keep this professional aren't we? So no I was there I was there for um, yeah I was in the industry for 15 years and um, I loved it I absolutely loved it. I had quite a few different roles um, but the so I started as a driver for um, my brother-in-law my brother-in-law at the time and he just needed someone to drive fish for him to restaurants and I quickly realized I really enjoyed doing that. Um, and I subsequently found out that, um, my, um, my father's family had a really stooped tradition, um, tradition in, um, in being fishmongers. So going right back to Billingsgate fish market in London. Um, and I think it just clicked like it was just something that, that, you know, looking after chefs and looking after people that, you know, are passionate about what they, what they eat, um, really just clicked with me and, um, so that was a restaurant, that was a backing, that was sort of the, the base of it was delivering food to restaurants. Um, and then I, you know, took on various, you know, roles throughout that business, um, and through a couple of other businesses I worked in. Um, and I did some contract stuff, for, you know, like advertising and I did do some works with some supermarket business with some supermarkets and I found that really you know, boring. And it just what, you know, there's no passion in in that side of the business, but I learned what I learned in terms of um, business acumen and all that kind of stuff was just invaluable. Um, but what that resulted in is me doing ultimately what I always wanted to do, which was to be um, a bespoke supplier of high-end and, you know, specifically sought after species to um, high-end restaurants. And the beauty of that, which I found was that these chefs, these are, these are marked chefs, right? These are Australia's best and world's best chefs that I was lucky enough to, to, you know, I've got them on my um, phone first name basis with these guys and they're absolute top blokes and top girls and they care. They ultimately really care about what they put on the plate. um, And they care where it comes from. And that's what, that's what really drove me. So that was sort of the last, um, about eight or so years of my career, which I absolutely loved.
0: Yeah, and And you had a business that was very much so, like you're a part of a business that was very much so accountable for what they were catching and the sustainability of it. And I know that for you, that was very different compared to previous experience you'd had with some of the larger companies that you'd worked for.
1: (laughs) yeah, and that that brings us into how you and I got into contact because um you know I'd seen some stuff around about what you were doing, and I, I felt that I should contact you and, and let you know about that those experiences that I'd had in the larger seafood businesses. and um they, they were quite alarming to me. even even when I was doing those roles. Um, I, you know I had I, I, I didn't have my head in the sustainability space at all. I didn't have my head in the ethical nature of catching. You, you know your food at all? I it just wasn't. I just it just hadn't you know dawned on me. But but it was there with me. I just didn't know about the the political space. Um, and so then I saw your stuff, and it all just clicked. You know, like some of the things that that I saw, you know, going across the fish market floor, um, and particularly some of the things I saw some businesses catching and doing um, was really really alarming to me. What's uh, um,
0: what's the most shocking thing that you saw when you were in that kind of space?
1: Well the most shocking thing and, and it was it it, it, did, it was just normal for everyone at the essentially everyone at the fish market and, and a couple of these businesses is very very normal um, but to me it was shocking it was absolutely shocking so what it is without naming names because I can't um, get into the specifics of the businesses unfortunately you know who they are we know I know who they are um, is there's targeted species that we have right so in um, you know any supermarket and in fact any fishmonger that you go to when, when I say any you know 95% of fishmongers that you go to there's the five rock star species and they're going to be you know your salmon snapper Tuna, barramundi, kingfish—you know the things that, or th- those types of things—and as we know, the biodiversity in Australia is ginormous. It's absolutely—it's—it's it's like one of the biggest, um, you know, expanses of biodiversity in in species in in any country for seafood, just due to the nature of our diverse coastline. You know, from you know the GAB in South Australia right up to the Top End. Um, and so what happens is because, you know, you want these certain species and you want a lot of them in, in targeting them and in catching them, there's going to be a lot of, um, bycatch and there's going to be a lot of catch of things that, um, aren't as desirable. And in some cases just aren't desirable, but you know, that's where, you know, the job of a lot of seafood sellers comes in and there is a market for everything, um, but the alarming thing that I saw, and that, that's a prelude to what, I, what I'm about to tell you, is um, one of the businesses I was working for targeted um, sand flathead in um, the Great Australian Bight. Um, and so they were very specifically armed to catch those fish. Um, and they would travel great distances. Um, they have a fleet of trawlers which demersal trawl. Um, and for those that don't know, demersal trawling is essentially, you know, bottom scraping. Um, and a guy, a guy I know really well, described it best. He's a he's a bit of an industry legend. Mark Ether is his name. He's he's um, a sustainable line catcher, and he described it best as, um, you know, when you see a bulldozer driving through the Amazon, that's scooping up trees and wildlife. That's that's what they're doing to the ocean floor. You just don't see it. Um, to an extent, you know, they're just scraping, scraping and what they're doing, they're targeting a fish that lives in that environment, which is a sand flathead. But there are many other species that live there and the, the hugest catches are of angel shark and they would catch tons and tons of angel shark and where it became, you know, that shocking imagery that I still have. And I still remember, um, is, we would have about three semi trailers a week, um, and that's on a re- regular basis. Sometimes four, sometimes two, but you'd say on average three. Um, and they carry about forty, d- depending on the size of the catch or whatever, about forty pallets of fish. And on each pallet, there's about seven hundred and twenty kilos of uh, of whole, you know, fish or whatever the animal may be. And so you imagine forty. 40 pallets of, you know, close to a ton each, three quarters of a ton each. Um, It's a huge amount of fish and that's happening every week, three times a week. And the shocking thing was when, um, you know, only a percentage of that is going to be the target species and the rest is stuff that they need to sell. And um, we had this situation where we had huge amounts of cool room and, and cold space, but there was this more and more angel shark coming in. And I'm talking like, you know what a semi-trailer looks like. Yeah. Imagine imagine a semi-trailer unloading to you at 3.30 in the morning and you've got like nowhere to put it and you have to start selling. It's that, that was the confronting image. And I was like, why, why, why is this, um, like this is just not right.
0: So what would happen with that with that shark?
1: well ultimately um obviously business is business and you want to try to get the best money you can for it and the harsh reality is that that angel shark actually um is is quite desirable for a lot of um seafood shops because it's cheap A it it actually cooks up quite well for what they want to do with it you know they're going to cut it into chunks and they're going to um, batter it and deep fry it um and it flakes up well and all that kind of stuff but it's pretty um, it's pretty horrendous when, you know, all of the shops are full, um, and there's no one else you can sell it to, and the fish is there, and um, you're suddenly having to consider dumping the fish.
0: Did that ever happen to huge amounts of shark bycatch?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can tell you right now that happened, and it happens on a regular basis. So
0: there's literally sharks getting caught accidentally, and then it's just getting thrown out.
1: Yeah. 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 It's, it's, um, it's, it doesn't happen that, um, often, but it does happen with a, you know, semi regular basis. And, um, I guess, I, I, I guess it's, it's a really hard one because, um, from my understanding, the fishing was done, uh, quite far out. Like they had, they were, they were designed to be able to target, um, outside of Australian waters, Um, and so in that, it was kind of like, it's kind of like cowboy stuff, but, but we're in the 21st century. Do you know what I mean? It's like these, it seems that these kind of laws should be looked at because, um, they could sort of catch essentially what and how they want to, that they wanted. Um, and these angel shark were just massive, massive bycatch.
0: Did anybody at all kick up a stink about that kind of wastage or about the shark getting flown out? Or like you said, it's just, it's just that normal.
1: Uh, No, no. The only, yeah, there was, yeah, there's a, there's a stink kicked up because it costs them money to do that. That's the only reason there's a stink. Wow. Because, you know, it costs, regardless of what they catch, it's going to cost a certain amount of man hours and a certain amount of diesel and a certain amount of labor and, it, it regardless of what they catch flathead or angel shark or you know anything in between um it's going to cost money and so that's where there's a problem but the actual it's never considered that that you're catching you know um yeah you, you're catching stuff that that needs to be there
0: so this is what ends up as as people's fish and chips or flight yeah
1: yeah yeah so they call it they do call it flake. I'm not sure what the legislation is now because there was some pretty harsh um legislation put into effect with the Australian fish names um and the enforcement of such. Um, because you'd probably know, like most old older cats would know about when, you know, you'd go to a fish shop and everything was barramundi, but it was, you know, Nile perch and bassa and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. they can't they can't get away with that stuff anymore. Um, but I, I certainly haven't seen, you know, anything marketed as angel shark. I think a lot of the time fish and chips is fish and chips. That and, is unless, so uh,
0: true. You never yeah. see angel shark and you never go to a fish and chip shop and it's like fish and chips or in brackets angel shark or shark.
1: No, of course, they'll never do that. It'll be fish and chips. And the, like I said, the, the unfortunate reality is it's actually like it eats quite well. And and it sort of pains me a bit to say that, but it, but that species works and that's what, um, that's what drives that, you know, it's in, in one, in one way, in one kind of saving grace, it, it's a little bit better than it being dumped. Yeah. It's a bit, it's a bit sobering and it still goes on. I know it still happens because, you know, I'm still in contact with my people in the industry and that's, um, yeah, business is business. I totally get that. Totally understand that. Um, but I think there should be, there should be some moral code, you know, sort of in place or maybe enforced with regards to a targeted fishery and the bycatch of such. I know people are waking up and there's a lot of stuff going on in that space. Um, but in that kind the operation that I was describing, it's, um, I mean, they're hundreds of kilometers out to sea, you know, they're in, they're in sort of, I don't want to say like do as you like territory, but. It's very kind of hard it for, for for, but yeah, it's very hard for governments to enforce stuff um unless they have personnel on board, and personnel only go on board on on you know on different kinds of fisheries, like the Patagonian tooth fish fishery that's in like herd Island, um where that's like a specific purpose that they have government personnel or.
0: But even if we had observers on the boat, and I mean the catching of angel shark isn't illegal, so they can still get away with these bycatch species.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, 100%.
0: So when I did all my testing of the DNA and I went around and I bought a bunch of stuff, we actually found exactly what you were talking about. I did buy barramundi from a bunch of places and one of the samples that I bought turned out to be shark. So they do sell barramundi but it's actually shark. I mean you can't get away with this kind of stuff in, I guess, the meat industry but the thing is people don't know the difference in their seafood or what they're eating. Most people would have no idea what a shark tastes like compared to a normal yep. fish, and yep. that wasn't the only crazy thing I found. So there was a store in Melbourne that was selling broad-nosed seven-gill shark, but they what? labeled it as tiger shark, and there was wow. a store in Mullumbimby in New South Wales where I actually live, and they were selling scalloped hammerhead. but scalloped hammerheads are protected in New South Wales, and it's illegal for sale.
1: Wow. Yes. That's, that's stunning. Do you know, that? but that comes down to that comes down to so many other other parties than just the fish shop because although like I can tell you firsthand although people make mistakes with labeling um you like as a fishmonger, a chef would call me and say and I've sold to fish and chip shops as well and fish shops um they would say what you know for example what is this species right and you know we'd sell them like a, a diverse range of things and essentially, like, at the end of the day, it came down to what I told them that it was. And the, the, the information, like, the the due diligence in um, having, like, a thorough chain of custody is something that people are working on. But it's just not there. So, like, if a chef called me and said, hey, um, where's this barramundi from? You, you just, like, whatever I told them is what would be written on the menu. Right. So, it can start even further up, up the chain. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. So in the case of that tiger shark that you mentioned, that was seven gill shark, they, they called it tiger shark. Um, they The fishmonger probably thought it was tiger shark. Cause I can guarantee you that like, when I say fishmonger, the wholesaler, I can almost guarantee you that like, well, sorry, I can guarantee you that maybe, I don't know, like a vast percentage of seafood wholesalers, they just don't know seafood the way that they should know seafood yeah uh, as as seafood and it comes down to things like shark is just such a in terms of um like commercial operations it's just like well it's shark it's shark and they just don't care about the differences because they don't know the differences it doesn't matter to them the differences so
0: I guess that it's really on the consumer at the end of the day and then it's important for people in Australia to understand this kind of stuff happens and I mean, for me, it's shocking what consumers don't know, but it's even shocking what I didn't know. So for our listeners, Will used to have access to a place in Australia called the Sydney Fish Markets, and it's a pretty famous place for people to go buy seafood. But what most people don't know is there's actually a secret auction house behind the normal public market, and that's where like the wholesalers can go, and you can't get in there unless you've got like a fish selling business or, or you're a chef. So... <laughs> You used to sneak me in there, and I used to pretend yeah, to be a chef. chef.
1: <laughs> you were my chef. Which this is my chef it friend.
0: It's hilarious it. if anybody has yeah. ever tried my cooking, because I am the furthest <laughs> thing from a chef that can be.
1: Yeah, green beans.
0: I remember, I literally remember standing next to you one day, and some dude was like, oh, you're a chef. And I was like, yeah. And then he asked me something about cooking, and I was just like, froze. <laughs> I was like,
1: <laughs> yeah yeah i'm having a bad day i don't want to talk about it okay pretty I don't much want to, yeah yeah but you got to see that stuff and the reason that we got you in there was um to just see firsthand like you know you saw what would we see white people um, i think it was some black tip reef shark i saw um, tiger
0: sharks i saw just huge makos i think one of the worst things was was seeing literally boxes of Little hammerheads, like baby hammerheads, boxes and boxes of them, and you, like you said, everything got sold, so this stuff's going into our consumer market
1: yeah it's a, well that that in that case i mean they're allowed to do that but like those the, the fisheries department come onto the market floor and they they like they re, were regularly there um, to regulate species and size but um I remember once um there was like a really small swordfish on the floor and it's not a shark but it was like it was tiny it was a really like it fit in a 30 kilo box so the thing would have been like you know 10 kilos and you know what a swordfish looks like like it was just it was super cute but it was like a dead fucking animal so it was it wasn't cute and um yeah i asked one of the guys I was like how is this possible cuz i know there's size restrictions on on most species and um i mean his answer to that was that the commercial operators don't need to adhere to the same level of, um, restrictions and laws as, um, us, you know, recreational fishers do. And, and that comes right back down to, um, the real nasty shit that I used to see all the time, which really fucking bugs me as a, cause I'm a, a Spearow, as you know, a freediver and I'm super selective about what I target. And we see, um, wobbies or, you know, wobby gong all the time. And they're, they're beautiful. There's beautiful animals to look at. And the last thing you want to do is, like, eat one of them. And they're protected. So you're not allowed to catch them. You're certainly not allowed to um, catch or kill one, uh, I think, unless you're, um, you know, of, um, you know, a, an Australian original person. And, um, hey, they just sell it, like shitloads of it. It's like the – the comer- and the commercial operators are obviously going to catch, like, heaps more than the um recreational fishers do. they're just allowed to do it and it was and it's just so they basically have
0: a different set of laws and these things that we look at and respect recreationally are actually for sale commercially which is crazy and it's so much of this is hidden from the public like a member of the public wouldn't be able to go see what we saw or what you saw on a daily basis on that floor would they
1: um no they're not allowed in there and and now it's stupid because you're actually not allowed to film in there like they never, they never liked people filming in there, but um, you're like not allowed to film in there. And I think that's absolute bullshit because this is like ah, uh, uh, when I say ah, uh, it's Australian people and um, you know Indigenous people's product that that is being pulled out of the ocean from around us and sold for commercial purposes. Why are they blocking the public from seeing what's going on in there? Absolutely. What like what, what, what what is the why do you think they do that, Madison? Ask yourself that question. Uh, it's because of things like I just explained to you. They would be um, in an outrage if they saw a 10-kilo a um, swordfish, boxes and boxes of baby hammerheads, boxes of um, wobbygong shark, which are cut in – like they're huge sharks. And, you know, wobbygongs are – you don't see them that – you just don't see them at that size when you're free diving in the, in the wild. Like these are big fish. These are big fish. And they're targeted. It's, this is targeted fishery.
0: Which is, it's just crazy because I know so many people that love to go diving here in Byron Bay and, and they see these sharks, but they don't understand that these sharks are falling victim to the seafood trade. So it is absolutely shocking, all the stuff that you're Well, the shocking truth
1: is you, you can go free diving or, or, or um, like scuba diving at Julian Rocks and see a, a wobby gong and then go down to, you know, a fishmonger in the area and potentially be eating that. Species,
0: and then a broad nose seven gill, like this is a prehistoric shark you don't even see that often, which I'm assuming was brought yeah. up by either a net or a long line in a deep water fishery at night, and then just sold to the public. And then this is something that a lot of my listeners need to pay attention to, and that you would understand is that the issue with selling large sharks, which are particularly what's common in bycatch, is yeah. the level of mercury.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I wanted to ask, well, you're, you're the one asking the questions, but that. that you should... can ask questions. Okay. Um, what are you wear? Oh, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I know no, what you're wearing. But... It's not much. You, <laughs>
0: people in the fish industry, you're all the same. Like, you know...
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fishy business. Um, well, yeah, that's, that's the concern because you need to know what you're eating. <laughs> like just, just as a general, like sweeping statement, we should all know what we're eating. Um, we should all care about where it comes from. and if you're if you're trying like to do that and and asking the questions um and being misled, that's like that's criminal. It's not right. Like it you, is you you're eating Like you might do all the research, for example, and say, okay, I'm going to make the conscious choice to eat um seafood, and um I like Barramundi, and I know from doing all my research that there are you know thirty plus Barramundi farms in Australia. And although they're not fully sustainable, the you know the protein content in the feed is coming from you know A, B, and C. You've done all your homework, and you say, right, that's it. I'm going to eat one fish, and it's going to be barramundi. And then you go down to your fish and chips store and ask for barramundi and chips, and you're served fucking wobbegong, which is full of mercury, or something, or something similar. You know?
0: Absolutely. And then this was the biggest thing for me when I was looking into all this is that the effects that this has if you are or planning to become Pregnant. So, the mercury tests I did during the production of my first documentary, Shark Girl, I did them on 14 different samples of shark meat. Half of them were from Woolworths, one of our biggest supermarket chains here. And the Woolworths ones had the highest levels of mercury, 60% over the legal limit here in Australia. I then tested short fin Mako, that was 40 times over the legal limit, from a seafood store in Brisbane. Uh, Mako at Woolworths, as well as the other shark that was 30 times over the limit. Even IGA was selling shark meat 10 times over the limit. So, a huge amount of the samples. And pretty much every time I do tests for mercury, I find something that is over the limit. And what is crazy about this is that I then started doing this really cheeky thing where I would call a Woolworths or a seafood store and I'd say to them, Oh, I'm just, I'm pregnant. I'm a little concerned about what I should eat. And I'd say, um, Am I able to eat the flake or the shark that you're selling? And every single one of them said, yes, it's fine. And if you go onto the Australian government website and you have a look at the guidelines for eating fish while pregnant, it says that you have to limit to one serving a fortnight but not completely reduce your intake of shark meat. So pregnant females are even encouraged by the Australian government to continue eating shark during pregnancy. Now, after I found those results, I went down to Melbourne University and I spoke to an expert in this field, and he said that mercury is a known cause of spontaneous abortions, birth defects, and all sorts of other issues. Because mercury can pass through the blood-brain barrier and can affect an unborn baby. So the levels that we found were absolutely going to be detrimental to a woman who's pregnant yeah. and her yeah. child.
1: Even if it's once a fortnight, you're, yeah. you're having a shitload of mercury, you just bust it into your system, you got no idea about how much. They just call shark shark, right? Yeah. Like, like it, uh, yeah, it's just.
0: It was insane. Yeah, and important. then nobody, nobody kind of, you know, and I've done mercury tests now in America and Australia and even Indonesia, and everything is over the limit, so we should not be eating shark. And then, so I looked into the labeling as well. So there's 27 different species of shark in Australia that you can sell under the name black tip shark. So it can be any one really? of those 27 species and it only has to be called black tip.
1: That is insane. That's that is insane.
0: What's uh what's the average price that a shark would sell for per kilogram?
1: Um I I would be sort of hazarding a guess to an extent because I haven't I haven't been in that space for the past sort of 8 years. Um but I can give you a rough idea. Um so like angel shark, for example, like whole um, dressed angel, which is you know head off um, and gutted, gutted and and gilled. Uh, so it's basically a trunk, right? Um, would be about anywhere from sort of three to um, four dollars, three to four dollars a kilo, right? Wow. Um, yeah, somewhere somewhere around there. And once you um, once you fillet that, um, like take the Take the fillets off bones. There's not much bone structure in the angel. That's one of the benefits of it. The yield is quite good. It's about a seventy percent return, I, I believe, from angel. So you're probably looking at about the cost of maybe seven or eight bucks a kilo, maybe somewhere around there. And that's pretty cheap for for meat, right? Well, yeah. Considering that, if like we, you know, we were talking about barramundi before, mm-hmm. like even even an average barramundi, like a an imported. Um, frozen fillet it's going to be at the sort of $20 range and that's like a really average cut whereas um, you know an Australian farm barrow you're looking anywhere from sort of 28 to um, you know 34 35 a kilo so you know you're talking about you know three times the price easily of of this product that they can substitute for that product so the incentive for them to the incentive for an operator to um substitute species, as you can see, it's strictly economical and it's great. Like it's a great disadvantage to um to the fish shop operator that does the right thing because they're they're economically impacted. So you've got to take your hat off to the people that are actually doing the right thing because they're putting their money where their mouth is and they clearly care. They don't just say they care, they actually do care. And I know a couple of operators like that and I'll always like give them my advice and, and work with them where possible because I think there's not that many people in the world that, you know, put their money where their mouth is. Yeah. So um, you can see that the, the, the advantage is just economically driven.
0: And uh, what kind of questions would you encourage consumers to ask when it comes to if they're going to have seafood?
1: Yeah, good one. Um, I would always ask what the species is. Um, and then how they know what that species is. So um, that those are probably the two starting points. And then after that, you could get into, you know, how are they captured, how are they harvested, how are they grown. Um, and so alluding to the first question that you're going to ask, um, there are quite a good um, amount of aquaculturalists now who actually tag their fish, like they gill tag them. Um, which is a really cool thing to do because they obviously really care about their produce and how it's, you know, the the animal husbandry and the whole process. And as you know, like salmons ain't salmons and barras ain't ain't barras. There's like so many different types of salmon. There's so many different types of barra. So when, for example, a, a salmon company, and I'm talking about New Zealand King Salmon here in particular, they do a very, very good product. And what they do is they gill tag their product so that, when it's sitting in the window next to an Atlantic salmon, which is vastly different, its oils aren't as high, its fat's not as high, um, it's not as rich, and you can clearly show, like the the fishmonger behind the counter can clearly show, um, you know, to an extent there still has to be integrity behind it, but he can say, look, I bought this whole fish, I've got the gill tag, here are the two fillets that came from that fish, this is how you can tell this is, you know, New Zealand king salmon or aura king salmon in, in that case and um and i'm not like i'm not you know on their bandwagon or anything but i just think that's a cool way to start the um the traceability of the product because otherwise it's just oh you know it's this or it's that or you know there's no there's no accountability there's no hard accountability to it so that that's one way of doing it um another like a couple of operators are working with like really good um line catch operators who are just like you or I would go out fishing um with a rod and line that's how they're catching their fish and that's how they're selling it selling it into um shops and it's it's vastly it's a vastly superior product because it's handled with care you know the fish are brain spiked and gill bled and ice slurried and then you know transported quickly and there's a it's a quite a huge cost increase in that but the product is is 10 times better but what what that comes down to is that the the person buying that fish has a direct relationship with the guy on the end of the rod and that's like super powerful because they can tell you everything um and you know the difference like you can see you can visually see the difference when you're dealing with that kind of product you can look at it in the window you know you pick it up it smells like salt water it's like it's a fresh piece of premium you know seafood and you, you know, that's that's the kind of operator you want to be dealing with. But you, your listeners should be aware that they're going to be paying for that experience. Yeah, which is uh, the unfortunate reality is like that. That's just a, a costlier um, exercise. What I would be cautious of, as a general rule, is when you go to a fish and chip shop and you buy fish and chips, and um, you think it's a great deal, and you're feeding your family for like you know twenty five bucks or something. Um, beware because you know you're going to be eating bassa or something which is like a couple of dollars a kilo for fillet yeah it's like horrendously cheap um or you're going to be you know feeding them some kind of shark species you just don't know what you're eating when you're paying like a minimum for the product
0: right so I guess moral of the story is you can never really tell and you never know and unless you're inside of the seafood industry it's very difficult for you to I mean, look at all the things that I found when I did these tests were shocking. And then trying to get this information out there was even harder because nobody wanted to speak against Woolworths. Nobody wanted to. So this information isn't accessible to the public. You could be buying shark. You could be buying a species of shark that you don't even know what it is. You could be damaging your body or your infant's body or your kids if you're feeding it to your kids. And you could be paying the wrong price for something and have no idea
1: yeah, and it all comes down to corporate greed. Honestly, the, the, this all of this stuff, from from my inside knowledge and what I've seen, it just comes down to corporate greed, and and you know people's people's ability to make more money where they can because they don't have a moral compass and they don't care what they're selling to people. That's what really. That's actually. Yeah, it's a bit of a long story, but there's, you know, one of the reasons I left the seafood industry is you know when your morals, when you're when you're morals are questioned daily and your morals aren't in line with who you're working with it's time to go
0: well i'm glad that you did um yeah, but too. i'm glad that you contacted me before you did because i found out a lot through you and i got to see a lot that i had no idea of and just kind of finding the ins and outs of these large supermarket chains and how they source their seafood was a very interesting experience and one that i definitely wanted the australian public to have more information on and, yeah, yeah it, was, it was very interesting. Um, did you ever have... Well, we can have...
1: continue. Yeah, sorry, I was going to say, we can continue on that path. There's no, there's no drama there. We've, got a lot of, we've still got a lot of contacts open to us and um, still got a lot of friends in the industry. So, you know, any information that you need or any experiments you want to do, we, we can get that done for you.
0: Well, it's so interesting because I have a lot of ability to film sharks around the world and to film them getting caught, especially in places like Indonesia. But filming it in Australia, even though it does happen, is just so different because we, everything happens behind closed doors. And it's big companies with lots of money, and it's very difficult to film and infiltrate, but it's the same. It's the same as what's happening in Indonesia. And what I was going to ask you is if you ever had any experience with the export of shark fins
1: no i haven't and i know we've spoken about this before i've never actually seen i've not seen the commercial side of it what i have seen is um like buyers on the market floor taking fins from trunks um that's that's what they do do because there's obviously there's a trade for it but that's not that's certainly on not on a mass scale it's like on a you know you know, like half a dozen fins every other day from the chunks that are on the floor. Do you
0: think that's for um, local I ha- use?
1: Oh, no, I know it's for local use, 100%, because they've, these are like um, most likely um, Chinese operators that have a Chinese clientele that they already know where that's going. And in, in honestly, in most cases, it's for their home and, and for their family, just because that's, that's what they like to eat. So delicacy, you know, um, which is pretty abhorrent, but it is what it is. But I haven't seen the um, the large scale, yeah, shark finning because that wouldn't happen at that level. That would happen at sea, where we we're never going to see that. You know, they're taking fins from animals that they might not be able to sell, and God knows what they do with the um, torsos. Where I don't know. I don't. I haven't seen any of that. Um, so I don't want to.
0: In regards to. Everything that goes on, I mean, people kind of look overseas and we look at China and we look at Indonesia and we look at all these places, but would you say that this sort of thing is happening to a shocking degree in Australia as well?
1: Um, I couldn't say for certain because I haven't seen it with my own eyes, but what I've seen with my own eyes is that um you know, things can happen out at sea which we would have no idea are happening is yeah. what I would say to that. Um, and I know that you've seen, like, evidence to suggest that this is happening on a commercial scale here, right? Yeah. So so I just I, – I can't say because I haven't actually seen it. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't – I wouldn't like to speculate. But I would say that if, if people are allowed to catch a species – um that you know shouldn't be caught and sell it legally in front of everyone's eyes. Fuck knows what's going on behind closed doors. That's a very good point. Um well you know what I mean, like you can sell Wobby Gong on a fish market floor and people are happy to do it. And they're targeting that fish, but then like, you know, what's happening that we don't see is super alarming.
0: There's definitely a dark underside to the whole industry. Without a doubt.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's very secret. I have, like I said, it's, it's if it's going on, it's happening um, quietly.
0: Um, is there anything else that you want to add to this about your experience in the seafood industry, or about any of the things that I found mercury or anything?
1: Um, not so much on the mercury side. I mean, that just speaks volumes what you were what you're talking about, and like obviously there should be more campaigning around. Um, and I know you're working in that space in terms of like education for, for, you know, potential, um, young mothers and, and people that are looking to start a family, um, about, you know, what, what the case is with mercury content and sharks, like just avoid it. Um, in terms of seafood, I would say, um, ask every time you buy a, a dish of a fish at a restaurant, ask what this fish is and where it comes from. And like the chef, if the chef is worth their weight, they will come out and they will speak to you. Um, If they're, if they're getting absolutely hammered during service, um, maybe, you know, make a call beforehand, be a bit, be a bit smart about how you operate. So, you know what restaurant you're going to go to that night for dinner. You're looking forward to it. Make the most of it. Call ahead. Say, Hey, I just want to, um, I don't want to be, you know, a pain in the ass, but I just want the simple, um facts like what am I eating where's it coming from if you could have someone get back to me or email me and you know it it actually holds everyone to account and that's what I think that's what people should be doing they should be doing that at the um at the fishmongers as well um and you know working with a fishmonger that they trust because there are some awesome fishmongers out there believe me there's some really really good operators that fucking care and they will put their money where their mouth is they will Sacrifice profit to keep a moral compass about them, um, and if I if I ever get back into the industry, that's that's I think where i the, the kind of space I'd like to work in. Um, and the, the final point I'd say is, uh, like, if you're gonna eat seafood, go and catch it yourself. Go and be a part of um, the environment. Be be an underwater hunter. Be a line fisher. Um, if you're gonna do it, I think that's the best way to do it because. I mean, particularly in spearfishing, as you know, that's that's what I do. And it's the ultimate form of selective, sustainable um, seafood harvesting. I, I think anyone that eats fish can never turn their nose up at me for being a Spearow. They can never turn their nose up at someone that hunts for their own food. Because if you are eating fish, then it is your – you should be doing your due diligence. And it's actually your um, – Your body's right to know what are you eating. Where Mm -hmm. is it coming from?
0: And questioning, like you said, holds people accountable. And like the the thing is, we live now in a country and in a time where you can watch a certain species on TV and then walk down the road, and it could potentially be for sale at your local store. Yep,
1: yep. Yep. So if you don't know exactly, and if you if you've got any um, if you've got any sort of questions about what it is that you you know like you're not too sure about the fishmonger you're not too sure about then just be smart go and catch your own fish yeah it's the best way to do it if you're going to eat fish or just don't eat fish that's easy yeah you can do that too that's like that's completely respectable but i think if you are going to eat fish you have to you have to um have the you know have the balls to ask the questions and it's um it's in everyone's favor it's in the industry's favor it's in your favor everyone becomes educated and ultimately what that means is that the bullshit will get called out because you can't then um ultimately you would imagine that you can't get away with selling something that you've just told to your customer you've you know you've just specifically stated to your customer this is barramundi when you actually know it's angel Shark. you know those kind of operators that's that's the 70s and 80s that that shit doesn't fly anymore um, because people get found out and then guess what? You've got like social media, which can ask them. You've got, you know, your today, tonight's of the world, which just love that shit. So I don't know. I just think operators are, they, they have to be a bit smarter about what they're doing. I know some, like I said, I know some really good operators and I'm not just talking on a small level. Like I know some guys that run a series of shop, like, you know, really, really like multi million dollar businesses. And they do care about what they're selling their customer. They do care about quality and they care about sustainability. They're not they're not full of shit. They actually really do care. Um, and so I would say to your listeners, it's your job to seek out those operators and um, and work with them to, to create a really, um, you know, wholesome environment in which we're buying and consuming seafood.
0: Love it. Well, thank you for your time and for helping me all those years ago and shedding a little light on the industry and being one of the good ones.
1: Well, that's my pleasure. But the reason I would always be there for you is because – um, I thank you for what you're doing. I always say this to anyone that ever listens, that, you know, what I've seen, what I know that you do firsthand, um, the public have no idea. Your listeners have a small idea and your Instagram followers have a small idea, but they don't know the the, shit, the, the grime that you're in daily. And so I take my hat off to you and I'll do anything for you, Madison. Thank you. All right, <laughs> have a good rest of your day. You too. Talk to you soon.